Well, amen. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be in church this morning. You know, on Easter, um, there's always a little bit more excitement for the church than there ought to be. This ought to be the most exciting day for the church. We're here to celebrate one thing, and that is Jesus. Coming back from the dead, we know that he died so that we wouldn't have to live in sin, that we could be separated from sin, be separated from uh, the curse that was brought on mankind. But thank God that he rose again. Thank God that his life now gives us access to life in this earth. And um, so I'm excited. I'm excited about today. This ought to be the most exciting day for the church. This is where we get our power. This is where we get the life that we live. Uh, this isn't about getting out of hell. This isn't about one day going to heaven. This, there's more to this. There's more to this life. And that's, that's what we're talking about. This entire series that we've been dealing with for the last several weeks now on Victorious uh, is dealing with the life of the believer. Um, I believe that the church has taken an approach to life of being defensive, uh, trying to guard themselves from the enemy, trying to keep the enemy out of their lives, trying to keep the enemy out of their homes, trying to keep the enemy out of their marriages. And, and every day is a struggle. Every day there's a battle. Every day there's something coming against them. But when I look at the Word, I see more of an offensive approach. I still see struggles. I still see battles. In fact, Jesus said that uh, in the last days, trials and tribulations, they would grow stronger. Things would get tougher. But he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so we've been looking at why can he say that? Why can he make that statement? Uh, why is it that Paul, uh, who went through some of the worst tragedies and some of the worst trials uh, that anyone could ever come across? I mean, you know, I go through daily struggles. I go through da daily battles, but I've never been shipwrecked i've never been left for dead i've never been beaten uh till they couldn't tell that i was even a man anymore uh these are struggles that people in the bible dealt with on a daily basis but yet paul can make statements like i am more than a conqueror through christ jesus i can do all things through him who strengthens me what could cause these people to make these kind of statements and so we've been taking this time to walk through the word to 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 look at our battles, to look at our daily struggles. I told you from day one, from the very beginning, I preached on the perspective, the perspective of our fight, the perspective of our enemies, the perspective of our daily battles and struggles. I believe that's where uh, we lose hope, is we get stuck in the battle, we get stuck in the daily trials of life, and we don't have the proper perspective. Um, and so we started from the very beginning, outlining an enemy and who an enemy really is and and when we go back to the beginning when we look at Genesis and we look at Adam and Eve in the garden uh, we don't see any warnings from God about Satan uh, we know the snake was there we know the serpent was more tricky uh, more cunning more deceptive than any other beast of the field but yet God doesn't lay out one warning uh, watch out for this snake watch watch out for this enemy uh, he, he's going to try to deceive you. He's going to try to get you to, to, to cheat against my word. He's going to try to get you out of alignment of what I'm telling you to do. We don't see any of that. In fact, what we see is God focusing on the instruction. Be fruitful and multiply. Tend and cultivate the garden. Keep it and guard it. He had instructions. Then he gave an instruction about a specific tree. And he said, of this tree... 
do not eat. You can eat of any other tree. And we know that man got out of alignment by giving in to the enemy, Satan, who God never warned them about. The, the trickiest, most deceptive being in all the earth. And God doesn't give one warning. All he gave was instruction. And so we took a look at our perspective and we saw that throughout the word, throughout the Bible, God never focused on the enemy. He just focused on obedience. And he said, if you just obey my word, your enemies won't be a problem to you. And so we looked at different situations. We looked at Gideon. Gideon had an army of 30,000 men. Sounds strong. Sounds awesome. But they were going up four times as many men, 120,000 men that was coming against them. And so God raises up this man, Gideon, whittles his little army down to 300. Again, just looking for instruction. Just obey me. Because Gideon at any point could have said, look, 30,000 is what I got. I got to go in with what I've got. And that's what we're taking in. But no, he obeyed God's instruction, whittled that thing down to 300 men. And then God gave some very illogical instructions. He didn't teach them the art of war. He didn't teach them how to handle a shield and a sword. He actually told them to light fires, put them in in, uh, pitchers, in pots, and surround the camp. Then, at the right time, throw your pots on the ground, let the fires come out, and then shout for the Lord and for Gideon, and watch your enemy destroy themselves. Now, that's amazing. And this is what we see on a regular basis. I mean, we see Joshua going in to Jericho, the most fortified city in all the land, a land that God has already promised them. And he gives an instruction once again. He doesn't tell them how to tear down the wall. He doesn't teach them uh, more art of uh, war and be trained to be physically strong. He said, walk around it. Walk around the wall. And as you do, don't say a word. So for six days, walk around the wall. Don't say nothing. On the seventh day, you're going to do that seven times. Walk around this thing seven times. And on the last time, when you complete it, shout to the top of your voice. Until then, don't say a word. What did those instructions have to do with taking over the most fortified city? But what is God looking for? Obedience. He's once again pointing to instruction. He's not focusing on the enemy. He's not focusing on being stronger than the enemy. He's not focusing on outwitting the enemy. He is focusing on my instruction. And as they did, we know the story. The walls come down. They went in. They took the land. Same thing with Jehoshaphat. Got three nations coming against. Three on one. That's not a fair fight at all. Jehoshaphat, being a righteous king, He gets on his face before the Lord, seeks the Lord, gets the entire nation to seek the Lord. What if we had a president that did that? Guys, I don't don't know the answer. I don't know the situation. I don't know what we're supposed to do, but let's just seek God on this thing. In fact, let's get the whole nation on their knees, and let's just all seek God. I'm telling you right now, we'd have a much different outcome. The Bible shows this pattern. If we focus on God's instruction and God's obedience, that will get us our victory. Jehoshaphat gets instruction from the Lord, send out the worshipers in front of the army. Again, illogical, doesn't make any sense, has nothing to do with war, has nothing to do with fighting. 
And as they did, they approached the area where the battle was to take place, and they found that their enemies were already destroyed before them. And they went in and they took the rest of the possessions. This is the type of victories we're supposed to be experiencing in our life. The second week, we took a look at the co-op mission. We said that God, when he set up uh, the kingdom on earth, he set it up in partnership with man. God is in heaven, ruling heaven, and he created the earth to look like heaven, to act like heaven, to be ruled upon like heaven. And he placed man on the earth to do what God was doing in heaven, to rule over it, to keep it, to guard it, to tend it. And so, in that partnership, this is where a lot of believers fall in. We fall into one of two instances. Either we're going into our battles and our trials, and we're trying to do it all ourselves. We're trying to do it by ourselves. God is not working with us. We don't want God working with us. We say, don't worry about this one, God. I got this. And so we try to fix it ourselves. We get in a financial crisis and we go to the bank. God says, go to me. We get into a marriage issue and we go to the bar. Or we go to other relationships outside of the marriage. We get into children issues and we turn to anger and we turn to wrath. And we, turn to, and we try to fix it in a natural way. We get in a health issue and we go see the doctor. So that's the first instance that a lot of believers fall into. There's no partnership. We're trying to take care of it on our own. The second instance is we expect God to do it all. We expect God to rain down money from heaven. We expect God to, to just heal us. And we don't have to do anything on our side to, to eat right, to live right, to, to manage our bodies properly. We just expect God to bring the right person along. And we're not doing anything to clean up our lives to be the right candidate for marriage. Well, I know my wife is out there. I know my husband's out there, and God's going to bring them to me. No, he's not, because you can't take care of your own house. You can't do your own laundry. You're not a proper candidate for anybody. We're trying to, to take these things on in a daily fashion and expecting God to just fix it all and fight the battle himself. Well, that's not what God set up at all. And so we see in every single instance throughout the Word, when God stepped in, it was based upon man first taking a natural position. And so this is a partnership. God wants to work with us. In fact, God told many people in the Word, He said, this battle isn't yours, it's the Lord's. But I'm asking you to fight it my way. I'm asking you to walk around the walls instead of just going in trying to tear it down yourself. I'm asking you to, to send in 300 instead of, going in with your 30,000. I'm asking you to send out the worshipers in front instead of thinking you've got to get your most strong, trained men out in front of them. He's looking for us to join with him in this fight. And when we obey his instruction and when we heed obedience to his word, we'll find that he will fight with us and he will fight for us. And then last week we took a look at what this fight's really all about. And we looked at the offensive and the defensive positions of every battle. Any sport you play, there's offense and there's defense. And you can't score on defense. And so we've got the church in this mode. The church is in this, 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 this daily mode of Sunday and Wednesday. We get inside our building, we lock our doors, 
and, and we pray that the enemy can't come in and touch us. The, 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 the devil's not going to get in here. But this battle that we're going to be fighting, we looked at it last week, that the kingdom is always advancing. The kingdom is always taking ground. We looked at a parable that Jesus told about a master who had servants in his kingdom. And the the master left the kingdom for a little while, but he left his servants in charge, three of them specifically. The first servant he gave to five talents. the, The second servant he gave two. And the last one he gave one. And the master returned and he said, what have you gained? What have you done with what I gave you? See, he wasn't looking for anyone to sit on his stuff. He wasn't looking for anyone to just sit back and, and, and take it all in and, well, we'll wait till the master gets back. He was looking for them to go and, and gain access. In fact, the King James Version says that he told them, occupy till I come. Well, that word occupy actually means to gain access to something, to get control of. So he comes back, the first servant, he gave five. And the servant responds and says, you know what, master, I actually doubled it. I got five more. I've got ten now. Same with the second servant. I had two. You, you put me in charge of two. I've now doubled that, and I've gained, I, I now have four. I've gained two more. But he came to the last servant. The first two servants, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done well. You've done well with what I gave you. Now I'm going to put you in charge over much. But the last servant, he gave one to. And as insignificant as that may seem, the master still came back looking for the same response. But he wasn't too excited about the last servant's response. The last servant said, I, I knew you to be a, a wise man. I know you. I knew you to be one that, you know, you, you, you reap where you don't sow. And so I, I took your one and I put it in the ground. And what did the master say? The master said, you wicked and lazy servant. You should have at least, at least put it in the bank so it would have what? Gained interest. The master's looking for us to gain something. So now here we are, stewards over the earth. What are we gaining? What are we getting access to? And lately, it seems like the enemy is getting a lot of access to our stuff instead of us going and gaining stuff back for the kingdom of God. Public schools are kingdom territory. Our government is kingdom territory. The music industry is kingdom territory. Yet we're seeing the enemy go into these things and he's taking them for his own possession. And the church, we're just locking up our doors. We're in defense mode. We're digging holes in the ground and we're putting our talents in the ground and saying, the enemy, at least he's not going to get my stuff. He can have all that, but he can have the schools, but we'll just start our own schools. We'll start some Christian schools. And so what do we do? We, we lock ourselves up. We get a territory of our own and we say, we'll just sit on this. When that's not what the master's looking for at all. The master's looking for us to go and gain access. The master's looking for us to obtain. The master's looking for us to advance the kingdom of God in the earth. That means that the church ought to be advancing onto territory and taking it back for the kingdom of God. And is there trials in that? Sure. Are there struggles in that? You better believe it. But we are victorious. Because the ground that we're trying to take back already belongs to the kingdom. 
It already belongs to the kingdom. It's just up to us to go and take possession of it. I mean, we looked in Numbers chapter 13. The Israelites, they finally get to the promised land. They're there. They can see it. They send in 12 spies to a land that God has already promised them. He said, this is the land. This is the land that I want you to have. This is where I want you to dwell. I've given it to you. I gave it to Abraham. I gave it to Isaac. I gave it to Jacob. And now it is yours to walk in and take. It belongs to you. So we send in 12 spies. And we get them back. And 10 of them say, uh, it's a good land. Looks good. I mean, it's flowing with milk and honey. We've got uh, fruit here so large we had to carry it on sticks, uh, on poles. I mean, it. It's legit. That's what, that's what God wants us to have. It's everything he promised. But there's one problem. Um, there's enemies in it. There's giants in it. The territory is occupied. So uh, let's just turn around. Forget it. I mean, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. I mean, we don't stand a chance. We get two men, Joshua and Caleb, that... Decide, you know what, I, I don't know about you, I'm just going to stand on God's word. And God said, this is our land, uh, so we are more than able to take it. We are well able to overcome it. Well, I don't know about you, I want to become a Joshua and a Caleb. I don't want to get to God's promises and see an enemy or a giant in my land. I don't want to see my land occupied and turn around and walk away. But this is what believers do. This is our position. We get sick. And we see a giant. We see an enemy walking around in our healing. Occupying our healing. And instead of going in and claiming our healing that God has already promised us. Already belongs to us. Is already in our possession. We just have to go and take it. We turn around. We bury our talent in the ground. And sit on it and say, well, at least I'm alive. No. God wants us advancing. God wants us gaining. God wants us being purposeful. He doesn't want us sitting back and saying, at least I have. He wants you going out and accessing more of the kingdom of God because it belongs to you. And right now it's in the wrong hands. Just because you see an enemy or a giant in your financial situation doesn't mean that those finances are not to come under kingdom law. Just because you see an enemy or a giant roaming around in your marriage and it seems like all hell's breaking loose, that marriage is yours to go in and take, to possess it. It belongs to you. And so that's what we talked about last week, the... the the battle that we fight is not to win, it's to stand. It's to stand. We looked at Ephesians chapter 6, and, and it, it said in there the word stand is mentioned four times. Four times. All that armor, all that stuff we're supposed to put on. And we're supposed to stand, occupy something, gain access to the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And we're real good about resisting, but we're not real good about submitting. But what you will find 
what you will find is when you are in submission mode, you're automatically in resisting mode, and the enemy will flee when you give yourself to God's Word, and you will go in and you will gain access to the territory God has called you to take over. Amen. So this is where we're at. I told you last week that the battle that we fight is not to win. The battle that we fight is to stand. The battle that we fight is not to win. If we are fighting a battle to win, then we have already lost. So this is where we are today. Why can I make such a statement? Why can I say, if you are fighting to win, you've already lost? I'm going to show you why. Title of my message today, if you're taking notes, you want to put this at the top of your page. Title of my message is Victorious Death. Victorious Death. Now, that is what we call an oxymoron. Oxymoron is two words or a phrase or a statement that contradicts itself. And so these two words, victorious and death, they don't belong in the same sentence. They don't belong next to each other. They don't belong in a phrase or in a statement. Death is not a victorious thing, or so we thought. But look at this. Let's start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I'm ready to walk in some victory. I'm ready to, to take some ground. I'm ready to access some territory for the kingdom of God and quit getting beat down by the enemy and start beating down the enemy. I mean, when the church comes together, the devil should be absolutely scared out of his pants. This should be the scariest moment for the enemy because the church is learning who they are in Christ and is getting ready to take over territory. We are not shutting our doors and we are not in fear of the enemy taking stuff away from us. We are going out and conquering this city, this nation, and this world for the kingdom of God. And this is why. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible to me. This is obviously speaking of Jesus' death. And it says here that God had this ordained from the very beginning. He knew that man, who he placed on the earth in charge of the earth, was going to mess up and lose control of the earth. Was going to have sin come and reside within him, and he was going to have to make a way for man to be reconciled back to him. And so it says here from the very beginning that God knew this was going to take place. But look who didn't know. Verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. We know who rules on the earth. That is Satan. He is the God of this world. Uh, access to the earth and control of the earth was handed over to him. But had he known, I love that. Had he known, that means the enemy did not know something. He would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He wouldn't have done it. Only God could take a moment of absolute defeat and turn it into the greatest victory of all time. I mean, think about it. 
Jesus, Jesus goes to the cross. God's only son goes to the cross and dies. And Satan, at this moment, is thinking, I've won. When we're talking about victory, we're talking about victorious. The enemy thought he was victorious. See, a kingdom is built upon a people's submission to a king. If if a king doesn't have the people's submission, you don't have much of a kingdom. And that's what the devil was always after, was submission to him and not submission to God. God, in heaven, was king, and Lucifer tried to overthrow God. Why? How? He wanted the submission of God towards him. He wanted to be the top dog. He wanted to call the shots. And so God sent him out. Kicked him right out of heaven. Sent him to the earth. And Satan did in the garden what he's still trying to do today. He's still trying to gain access to man and get man to submit to him rather than submit to God. The very same thing that he came to Adam and Eve with, he's still coming to us today with. No no different. And so a kingdom is built on that. And so by taking out Jesus, by taking out God's son, the devil thought he had victory in his hand. He thought he had this thing beat. He thought he had this thing finished up, wrapped up. This is it. I am victorious. But the Bible says right here that had he known God's plan, he would not have crucified Jesus. He would not have killed him. He would not have put him to death. That is amazing to me. The victory, a moment of victory for Satan, immediately became the moment of his demise. I mean, that's like, you know, in those movies when you see you got the good guy and the bad guy, and the, the bad guy finally traps the good guy, or so you think. And then it ends up turning around and being a trap for the bad guy. I love those kind of movies. I love those kind of movies where you, you, you think the good guy, man, what, what was he doing? He lost. He, he's defeated. He, he didn't win. He walked right into the bad guy's trap. And then a few moments go by and you find out, wait a minute, he actually set up the bad guy. By Jesus dying actually turned out to be the greatest moment of victory for God and the greatest moment of defeat for the enemy. And so that's what I want to look at today. Romans chapter 5. I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to let the Bible preach today. I've got a lot of verses. Um, If you can't keep up, We've got it on the screen. We have the version app. You feel free to access it on your iPhone, iPod, iPad, iThis, iThat. Any kind of mobile device, uh, you can access version. You can go to our live event, and you can access the notes. You can access all the verses. You can add your own notes in there. It's a great tool to help you participate with, what, with what's going on this morning. But we've got a lot of verses, so I want you to stay with me. I'm going to outline through the Word this victorious life that we're to live. And I'm not talking future. I'm not talking one day it'll be there. I'm not talking when we all get to heaven. I'm talking in the earth, today, right now. 
There are all kinds of sermons going on this morning, on Easter morning, of why Jesus died, of why he came back to life, of what he made available to mankind. But I'm going to bring it to light this morning because there's something we're missing. We, we, we've got hell covered. We know we're not going there. We've got heaven covered. We know one day we'll be there. But this whole earth thing here in the middle, the 80 to 100 years we spend on this earth, we're just kind of waiting. And that's not the position of the church. Look at this in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were still... When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, it says there, look... You might die for a good man. You might die for someone that's got it all together. You might die for someone who who has the life, the good life. But while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were still against everything God was about, he sent his son to die for us. But look what it says down in verse 15, a little further. This entire chapter is amazing. Romans chapter 5 is an amazing chapter. But verse 15 says, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So just like Adam's sin caused all of mankind to die, now we've got one man being obedient, causing all men, all men, all men to live. Verse 16, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification, resulted in you being right with God. Why? Verse 17. Here's where we're at. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Through the one, Jesus Christ. Here's the first point I want to make. I call this the takeover. I call this the takeover. In, in, in battle, there's always a takeover. Someone's going to take over someone else. And I call this a takeover. My first point is, through Christ's death, not only did he save us from hell, but he gave us access to victory in the earth. And see, this is the middle row. This is the, 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 the silver lining that we miss. I, I tell you, if, if it's like me going and buying a brand new vehicle and being excited about a CD player. I got a new CD player. Look at this new CD player. Look at, check out this new sound system. Uh, the vehicle is a lot more than just a new CD player. You don't spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 on a new car for a CD player. The CD player is the byproduct of buying the vehicle. Heaven, being saved from hell, access to heaven, is a byproduct of why Jesus really came. I'm going to tell you right now, I would hate. I would hate it. You know how it is if, if you 
pay the price for someone, you do something for someone, you buy someone something, and they miss the whole point of why you did it. I would hate that for everything Jesus went through, for everything he endured, for everything that he went through in those three days. For us to miss the real reason why he did it. To, to sit and wallow on this earth in defeat and, and, and have no access to victory and just get beat down by the devil for uh, 60, 80, 100 years on this planet and then just keep looking at heaven one day. And Jesus is saying, I didn't die just to get you here. I died to bring the kingdom there, to bring heaven to the earth, for you to walk in everything my father originally intended for man to live in. I spent three years on that planet healing people, delivering people, freeing people from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of the enemy, from the bondage of demons, from the bondage of death and sickness. I spent three years walking through the earth doing that, preaching about the kingdom, preaching about repentance, preaching about turning away from your sins, turning away from your religious rituals and your do's and your don'ts and your doctrines. And turning to a kingdom that my Father wants you to live in and wants you to bring back to the earth. Don't miss the point this morning. Don't look at freedom from hell and access to heaven and miss the whole reason why you're in the earth today. Miss the whole reason why Jesus died. Verse 17 says, If one man's offense caused death to reign, Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace. It's by grace that we are saved. It's by faith we are saved. It's not because of what we did, not because of what we do. But look what that abundance of grace brings. It brings the gift of righteousness. That means being in right standing with the Father. The gift of righteousness, and it causes us to reign in Life, not in death. We got this picture that when I die, that's when I really will be raised to life with Christ. That's not true. You will reign in life. To reign means to to rule over, not to be subjected to. To rule over what? To rule over sin. To rule over the enemy. To get access back. To, to start taking ground and advancing the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, who, Jesus, has made alive together with who? Him, Jesus, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. The, the, the requirements were the, was the law. And as much as you try to follow the law, you can never keep the law. It was contrary. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed what? Principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Triumphing over them. Made a public spectacle. He he made a show of defeating the enemy, of putting him down. He showed it off to the entire world and said, Let it be known that I have brought my Father's kingdom, back to the earth. I am walking over, trampling on the principalities of the air, the powers, the rulers of darkness. I have made a spectacle. I have put on a show. 
so that you could reign in life. It said back there in verse 13 that he has made us alive together. Together. That means we're on his side. We're doing this thing together. We're in this together. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Notice all this is past tense. He has made alive. You now reign in life. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. No longer are we bound. No longer are we tied up. No longer are we in bondage. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus or uh, Paul made a statement saying that Jesus led captivity captive. I love that phrase. That means what was once binding us, what was once locking us up, now has been locked up. And that was the law. The law bound us up. The law kept us in. You've got to do this. You've got to act like this. You've got to talk like this. And you still can't be good enough. You still can't be what God wants us to be in the earth. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. I love that too. According to. That means not according to me. According to his. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Notice Jesus is sitting. Sitting down. He is sitting down. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Once again, we see that Jesus is ruling, triumphing over, and has defeated darkness. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So verses 19 through 21 talk about what Jesus did. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Far above all principality, all power, darkness, might, dominion, all these things, every name that is named. And then verse 22 says that it's all under his feet. In that he's the head over the church, which is his body. So let me ask you this. If you are the body of Jesus, if you are the body of Christ, just like this verse just tells me I am, and tells you that you are, then if it's under his feet, wouldn't it be under our feet? If every principality, every power, every darkness of might and dominion, every sickness, every disease, Every name that is named, if it's under his feet, and we are the body, then wouldn't that make it under our feet? But the church is not portraying this. The church is not living this out. The church is not exemplifying this verse. If we are Christ's body, if he's far above, we're far above. If he's seated at the right hand, we're seated at the right hand. If he's sitting in a position of authority, we're sitting in a position of authority. And here's the other key. 
as his body, who's doing the fighting? Who's fighting the battles? Because remember, it's the Lord's battle. He always said that. This battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. So we are fighting his battle. We'll get to that. <clears throat> we'll get to that. Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Not only is Jesus sitting down, but he's relaxing. Look at this. Verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. That's, that's awesome. I mean, he just went, he just made uh, this, this major sacrifice of his life. And now he's retired. Now he's sitting up in heaven, kicking back, because verse 13 says, From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. See, you thought your enemies were just so strong and so, so tough and so bad. And I've got this enemy, and I'm fighting this battle, and I've got this struggle. And Jesus is sitting back in heaven on the throne with his feet propped up on his enemies. I made a spectacle. I've triumphed over, I've overcome, and now they're under my feet. Wow. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, here we go, made us alive together. With Christ. Together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together. In heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. See it's one thing to know Jesus is sitting there. It's another thing to know that you're there with him. You're there together with Jesus. The power of the cross. Not only contained salvation from hell but it also contains access to continual victory. Jesus Christ died so you could be raised to life with him, to have victory in every circumstance. Christ did not come to die to get you out of hell and get you into heaven and wallow here on the earth and just pity me, woe is me. It's bad down here. Get me up there. We are together with Christ. We're seated with Christ. We are made alive with Christ. So what he has control over, we have control over. What he has victory over, we have victory over. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Every time we always triumph through Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. A very popular verse. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You are on God's side. You're on his team. You're fighting this battle with him. Verse 37 says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Look what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says. The sting of death, verse 56, the sting of death is sin. 
The strength of sin is the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Look, there's labor, there's trials, there's struggles, there's breakthrough, there's an overcoming that has to take place. Victory is an, ir- is an irrelevant concept if we don't have a battle. If you're not fighting a battle, then there is no victory to talk about. But he says, be steadfast, be immovable. What? Stand, withstand, resist, remain in position. Stay steadfast and immovable in what you are fighting for. And we're fighting to gain access. We're not fighting. See, it's not the, the, the church trying to keep the world out. It's the devil trying to keep the church out. This is the perspective we have. This is the mindset. This is the, man, the mentality that we have to go into these battles and these struggles with. Be steadfast and be immovable. Revelation chapter 12, the very last chapter in all the Bible. See, God, the Bible says that God knew the end from the beginning. And I used to always think that meant that he knew the difference between the two. I know the difference between the beginning and the end of something. But it it says he knew the end from the beginning. That means God, being omnipotent, knowing all things, knew the end when he started. He knew the end of a thing when he started the thing. So he actually went to the end of the book and wrote in there, I win, and then worked his way backwards from there. Come on, that's got to that's got to challenge somebody today. That's got to light a fire within somebody that God already knows the end of the thing before you got into the situation that you're in. He already know he already knew how to get you out of it. Before you got in your financial mess, he already knew how to get you out of your financial mess. Before you got it sick, he already knew that you would be healed. I like what one minister said that that the, the word says that by his stripes you were healed. Past tense. That means before you were sick, you were healed. Before sickness had access to your body, healing was already made available. We're not trying to obtain healing. It's already ours. We have to claim it. It already belongs to us. So look at this in Revelation chapter 12. This is exciting. I'm about to spoil the ending for you. If you're one of those people that doesn't like to, uh, I I am. I don't want to go to a movie and someone's already told me how it ends. I don't want to read a book and someone already told me the last page. But God spoiled the ending for us right here. Revelation chapter 12. Then I heard a loud voice. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. This thing has always been about a kingdom. And the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. That's the devil. Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. We know that God can overcome. Let me ask you a question. Is God a loser? Simple question. It's not a trick question. Is God a loser? Does he ever lose? Is there, does he ever get defeated? Does he ever get down? Does he ever get beat up? I think we all know the answer. No. God always wins. God always overcomes. God always is in victory. But here's the thing. We know that God can win. We know that God can overcome. But we forget that we're on his side. We forget that we're on his side. I remember when I was in high school, my sophomore year in high school, uh, we went to state in baseball. I played baseball uh, pretty much all my life. And um, my 10th grade year in high school, our, our high school team got to go to state. And so we're in these tournaments. And I pitched that year, um, and I had a great year. Um, I was... Uh, had a winning streak. I was uh, five or six and zero oh that year. I had a great year, and so because of that, the coach gave me the ball for the state game. We we made it all the way through the tournaments. We ended up having to go down um, to another city to play a team from Houston, Texas, and I got the ball to play that game, to to open that game, to pitch that game, um, and I had the worst game of my season. The worst game. I, I was loading bases, walking people. Um, I, I think I might even hit somebody with the ball. I mean, it, it just was not a good game for me. I was off my game. I don't know what it was. And um, about the third inning, I got the ball taken away from me. Went and played a different position. But we had a guy on a team. And he was a ball player. Could have gone pro. Great ball player. And we knew if he took the mound, this thing's over. Now, he had just pitched the, the, the day before in one of the tournament games. In fact, um, if I remember correctly, he threw a no-hitter in that game. Uh, they didn't get a single hit off of him. He pitched the whole game, and we won that game like 12 to nothing. This guy was, uh, was dominant. And we knew... With him on the mound, we had a very good shot at finishing this thing out. And you know what? Even though I didn't pitch to the best of my ability, even though I didn't, I, I wasn't strong enough to, to take on this team, I was getting hit, I, I was hitting people, I was walking people, I just didn't have it all there. You know what? I still got a ring. I still can claim that I won state my sophomore year. I didn't get excluded. They didn't take my name off the chart. They didn't. Leave me out. Why? Because I was on the right side. I was on the right side. I was on the right team. Look, even in our weakness, our weaknesses, he is strong. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what's trying to haunt you, what the enemy's trying to bring against you. You're on the right team. Get on God's team. Get in the kingdom. Live the kingdom life. And you 
are victorious because God is victorious. We know He always wins. We know He always overcomes. But we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We are overcomers. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's because I'm on the right team. His victories are our victories. Now look at this in verse 12. At the end there it says, The devil has come down to you. Great wrath, having great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. He knows he has a short time. You know, some of the greatest struggle will come at the end of your battle. When an opponent realizes they're running out of time, that's when they really start scrambling. That's when they really start trying to put things together. That's when they really trying to start trying to make things happen. <clears throat> Again, as a baseball fan from Texas, my Texas Rangers went to the World Series last year. And what went down is one of the greatest World Series of all time. And they were one pitch away. For those of you who may not understand baseball, uh, that's really close. In fact, you can't get any closer because the next pitch, if it's the right pitch, ends the entire thing for the entire season. I'm not talking a series. I'm not talking a tournament. I'm talking the entire over 200-game season that they play. Close to 200 games in one year. You, you start in February. You fight and you fight all the way through. And now you're at the end of the battle. You're right there. You are one pitch away. But you know what? Their opponent realized they were running out of time. Their opponent realized it's do or die. Their opponent realized our time is short. We don't have much time to make something happen here. And the St. Louis Cardinals came back and won the game, won the series, won the season. The greatest struggle, do not, listen to my words today, do not let your victory slip. Ephesians chapter 6 says, when you have done all to stand, stand. Don't do all to stand. And sit down. Do not fight and, and tread through and, 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 and struggle and battle and then lay down and let the enemy walk away with your victory. Our victory is already ours. The battle that we fight, it's not to win. If you are fighting to win, you have already lost. Let's get this thing in the right perspective. But this battle that we fight is to keep a hold. To keep a hold of what is already ours. To, to grab onto and take back, gain access to what already belongs to us. The victory is ours. Jesus went to the cross, rose again in three days so that we can have victory in every aspect of our lives. We fight from victory, not for victory. You fight 
already knowing it belongs to you. I mean, think about it. Any athletes, any, anybody that likes sports, if you knew going into a game that you were already going to win, what would your confidence level be like? Would you approach and attack that game a little differently? Yeah. Of course you would. We fight from victory. We fight knowing the battle's already won. And so we fight to keep the victory. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to tell you right now, it's up to you. It's up to you. Your victory is dependent on you. Your victory in life and in your situations, in your finances, and in your marriages, and in your homes, in, in your health, in your jobs, in your careers, the daily struggles that come against us. It's up to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. Who's giving place? You. Us. We're the ones giving place. Jesus isn't giving place to the devil. We already know that he's already put the devil in his place. Don't give place to the devil. Put him in his place. We're giving him access to stuff that he has no business having access to. James chapter 4 verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee. It's up to us to do the submitting. It's up to us to do the resisting. And he will flee. He has no place. He has no access. I'm wondering today, how much does the enemy have access to in our lives that we're giving him access to? What does he have place in that we're giving him place in? You've got to understand that this lifestyle, this position, this is possible. It's possible because of what Jesus did. On this day, on this Easter Sunday, this Easter weekend, I'm here to go beyond a message of not having to go to hell. I thank God for what Jesus did on that cross. I thank God for the blood that was shed, for my healing, for my deliverance, that I'm no longer bound to sin. I'm no longer having to live, like the Bible says, according to the course of this world, Buried in trespasses and sins. Always trying to be close enough but can't be close enough. But let me tell you something. There's someone that's way more thankful for what Jesus did than you and I. And that's God. Because in that moment, God's original plan, God's original design for his man. You've got to understand, God loved us so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe on him. There's no one more thankful for what Jesus did than God. But he's thankful not because you get to one day come to heaven. He's thankful because now you get to live in continual, perpetual victory in your life on the earth. And take back the earth that God created. The mess all happened when sin came into what God loved. See, God loves man. 
God so loved the world. Jesus said that in John chapter 3. Jesus hadn't died on the cross. Nobody could accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior at this time. And he still said that God loved the world. But what happened was something that God hates got inside of what God loves. God loves the world, but he hates sin. It has no part with him. It has no place with him. And so now he's in a dilemma. The thing that I love is filled with a thing that I hate. I can't hang out with. I can't commune with. I can't have a relationship with what I love because what I hate is inside of it. So what did he do? I have to find a way to get rid of the thing I hate. I'm not wanting to get rid of the thing I love. I want to get rid of the thing I hate so I can get back with the one I love. This was God's plan from the beginning. So that man could walk in everything he created Adam and Eve to do. That man could walk in the earth and that the earth could one day look like what he created the garden to look like. That's why Jesus said, this is how you pray. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is God's plan. This is God's design. This is God's intent. And for you to walk in what God created for you to walk in, it requires you to have a different perspective of victory. Victory is not when you die and go to heaven. Victory is when you die to yourself and you live in what he created you to live in on the earth. That's real victory. That is the victory we're talking about. This is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. The enemy can try to twist it. He can try to pervert it. He can bring in bunnies and eggs and chocolate and hunts and all this other junk. But I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus died for much more than one day. He died for you to have a lifestyle of victory, a lifestyle of perpetual access to the kingdom of God in your life. To walk into territories and take it over. To walk into your healing and take it over. To walk into your finances and take it over. To walk into your marriage and see the kingdom of God come into your marriage. And see the kingdom come into your school. And see the kingdom come into your job and your career and your co-workers and your employers, your employees. That is why Jesus died on the cross. Let us not miss the purpose like Romans chapter 5, verse 17, so that we would reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Let's thank God for what he did to, for, for what he did by sending his son. Let's thank Jesus for shedding his blood, for the remission of sins, so that what God hates so much can be taken out of us, so we can have that relationship, so we can bring heaven to the earth, not sit back and wait for heaven. We have access to the kingdom of God right now. Amen. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, stand up. We're going to worship our God this morning.